Welcome to Toward Significance. My name is Dave Davis, and I'd like to invite you to join me on a path that will lead toward significance in life. In this episode, I want to think about being sent on mission. The Mission Impossible film series, like the TV show before, it was gobbled up by people seeking adventure. We suffer no dearth of similar movies and shows. The human spirit thrives on adventure. We were made to do things. We were made to go places. We were made to make things. God told our ancestors, rule over the earth and subdue it. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. This was no green light to despoil or molest the earth. It was a ticket for adventure. We're on mission. Too often, Christians think the church's mission is for the clergy. Sadly, some of the clergy think so too. But God invites each Christian to join not just the adventure of being a citizen of the world, but even more so the adventure of being on mission for the kingdom of God. In being sent out on mission, we are sent out on the path toward significance. The mission we join proves eternally significant in the lives of the people it touches. Now, as we begin to think about being on mission for God, the place to start is to have greater clarity about what significance is. I wish for you something far more than success in life. I wish for you significance. Aim higher than success. Seek significance. Success tends to be measured in opponents conquered and things accumulated. Significance is measured in the difference made. Success is always at risk. Significance endures. The first and most fundamental step on the path toward significance is quite simple. It's also ancient. It predates any American business guru's book on how to be successful. It predates Machiavelli's The Prince. It comes before anything Luther, Calvin, Augustine, or Paul wrote. We find the most crucial principle for a significant life on the lips of John the Baptist. You know, John of whom Jesus said no one born of woman was greater than he. John is the one who said of Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. There it is. That's the best life, work, and leadership lesson to be had. It's the first advice my mentor gave me. The successful, or better, the significant kingdom leader wants Jesus to become bigger and bigger, more and more. And this rings true regardless of your vocation, butcher, baker, candlestick maker. He must increase, but I must decrease. Of course, that's easy to say, but it's hard to do. We live in a time of the expansive ego. We live in a time when people celebrate pride as a virtue, even though previous generations thought of it as a vice. We're taught to be proud of this, proud of that, and proud of the next thing. We live in a time when spiking the ball in the end zone, dropping the mic, or doing a donut at Daytona serves as justified chest pumping. That's not the way of the kingdom. Humility, gentleness, and kindness characterize the kingdom. We do not seek to bring attention to self. We want people to see Jesus more and more of him. He's the Savior. He's the true God. 
He is the hope. For you to be an effective leader, you must learn how to tame your ego and turn the attention to Jesus. This will be hard because of two things. First, you have many good gifts and abilities. People are going to recognize and affirm your accomplishments. It's easy to get distracted. Second, many of your contemporaries will gladly soak up any spotlight you give up. If you don't snatch the glory, they just might. Remember what Proverbs 27 verse 21 says? The crucible is for the silver and the furnace is for the gold and a man is tested by his praise. The real mark of a person's character is what that person does with the praise received. What will you do with the praise, adulation, and acclamation you receive at work, at home, or at church? Keep in mind, he must increase, but I must decrease. There are two wonderful and related Bible passages that can serve to keep a person's ego in check. Always remember Balaam, or rather his donkey. When your ego starts to get out of check, when you start to increase instead of Jesus, remember that you are only a vessel. If God tires of using you, he can find any old donkey and accomplish as much through it as he can through you. Check out Numbers chapter 22, verses 21 to 39. Remember the other donkey, too, the Palm Sunday donkey. Jesus sent his disciples into the village to secure that donkey with the words, The Lord has need of it. The thing that was special that day about the donkey was not the donkey, but the Christ he carried. That's you, my fellow Christian, and me. We could just as easily be donkeys carrying Jesus to people. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. Now, this is not to denigrate the encouragement you will receive. I had a professor who once said a good compliment would keep him encouraged for a month. Hopefully you do indeed hear compliments and encouragements in your life. We need them. Life is hard. Just make sure you don't let any encouragement elevate you above Jesus. All right, write it down. Say it often. Burn this mark of significance into your heart. He must increase, but I must decrease. Uh, one more note. Do you see the word sign in the word significance? Think about this. A life of significance serves by being a sign that points to Jesus. A second thing I'd like to talk about as we think about being on mission is what I would call unchurch work. Now this goes back a while. Uh, Seven Up, you know the pop company, conducted an ad campaign designating itself as the Uncola. It was still a pop or a soda, but it was different. Cola was not a bad thing, the uncola was a different thing. Many Christians, at least functionally, consider church work to be connected with maintaining the local congregation. Now make no mistake, that is indeed crucially important work. We need elders and teachers and ushers and choir members and so on. But there is more to church work than maintaining the local congregation. 
there's more to pop than cola. Uh, let's call this unchurch work, how we intentionally serve Jesus outside of the context of the local congregation. It is important for members of a congregation to be deployed into the community. And it's important for them to conceive of such deployment as serving the kingdom in an unchurch sort of way. For the church with a capital C, but outside the organization of the local congregation. Here are some examples. Maybe coaching a little league team, visiting elderly people in a senior center, mentoring a child in the neighborhood, assisting a recent immigrant, serving on a community board or council, volunteering to pick up a local park. Now, this is different from vocational church work. Vocational church work focuses on living out your vocations as spouse, parent, neighbor, employee. Unchurch work is similar, but not the same. Unchurch work consists of intentionally moving out of your normal daily activities and outside of your congregation structure to serve God in your community. God calls Christians to work, serve, or do ministry in three ways. Vocational work, according to the various life callings you have. Church work, we'll call that serving the local congregation. And then what we're talking about now, unchurch work, intentionally engaging in ministry separate from vocations or the congregation. I want to encourage you to spend some time praying about where God might lead you to engage in unchurch work. Or perhaps you are already involved in some such work. How can you do that even more intentionally as a servant of Jesus? Understanding that we serve God with all that we are, wherever we are, in our vocations, in our congregation, and in unchurch activities in the community will help us on the path toward significance. I like what it says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. As we think about being on mission for the kingdom of God, the next thing I'd like to have us examine is, what does it mean for the church to meet the needs of the community? Years ago, I led a sectional at a pastor's conference. The committee asked me to talk about meeting the needs of our communities in these difficult times. This was years ago. The times are always difficult. While ministries like coat banks, food pantries, after-school youth centers, and so on meet some of the needs, there's another way to look at what the community needs from the church. Maybe the following will give you something to think about. The community needs us to read our Bible. While I've emphasized the importance of Bible reading for personal spiritual growth previously, and there is no surer path to personal spiritual growth, the community needs us to read our Bible. If Christians are going to be witnesses in the community, then we need to be sure witnesses of biblical truth. And that comes from knowing the Word, from reading our Bible. Second thing that the community needs is that the community needs us to pray a lot. 
One of the greatest powers that the church has is its direct access to the throne of grace. The church should regularly and aggressively be praying for its community, for public safety and health workers, educators, for the poor and needy, for government officials, for the unemployed and the underemployed. All of these have special challenges which we can take straight to the God of all creation. Prayer is a work that we can do for our community. The third thing the community needs is for us to tithe and more. Generally, people think that tithing is to meet the needs of the church. Not so. Tithing forces Christians to rely on God instead of being money-oriented. The community needs to see Christians trusting in God instead of money. That will give them hope in troubled economic times. They will see that there is another way. Tithing will keep the church from acting like merchandisers, nonprofits, and beggars. Instead of being receivers, we will have resources to give to the community. The fourth thing the community needs is for us to quit talking like Sean Hannity and Bill Maher. The political conversation and tone in our land is cynical, sarcastic, caustic, bombastic. It doesn't help the community if the church speaks with the same kind of voice. The next thing the community needs uh, from the church is for us to quit expecting non-Christian people to behave biblically. Of course, the church grieves at the coarse, immoral, and unhealthy behavior of so many in our society. But we have to be careful about how we react. Imagine coming across a terrible automobile accident. If you react with shock and horror at what you see, you will be of little help for the people in need. The church should calm down, take a breath, and then gently share with individuals who may be far from Christ that there is a God who loves them in spite of their behavior, just as he does us. Our goal is not behavior modification for the community. It is to win an opportunity to introduce the Savior. And while we're at it, let's make sure that we turn off all scorn or mockery. It's not funny for Christians to make fun of others. It makes it hard for the community to hear our message of love. The sixth thing the community needs is for us to behave biblically. While we should not expect non-Christians to live like Christians, they need to see Christians living like Christians. Remember, Jesus saved his harshest words for those who knew better. As you know, non-Christians in the community have a hard time hearing our message when they see our words not matching our actions. Early Christians drew others into the church because they were distinctively different people. The next thing the community needs is for us to love its children. The government can't. Too many parents are unable or won't. Jesus does. So should we. The next thing the community needs for us is to quit selling Jesus. Sharing Jesus is more than talking people into a few religious talking points. Studies indicate that most people know the story of Jesus they're just not buying it. Instead of introducing Jesus as if he is a product to buy, let's share him as a dear friend of ours 
who is a friend of sinners. We want, by the power of spirit, to win people, not sell them. Which leads us to the next point. The community needs us to be in proximity. Make sure that you are engaged with neighbors and fellow workers. Walk in your neighborhood. Coach Little Leagues. Participate in a community endeavor. Hang out with friends at a coffee shop. Engage strangers. Practice unchurchmanship. Connecting with people outside of the church community to share through words and deeds the love of Jesus. And then the last thing, number 10. The community needs us to love each other in the church. Christian congregations always need to have reputations of being havens of peace and joy. Unbelievers get confused about discord between believers. Within the church, we must work at getting along with others. Do you know the word from Jesus about not casting pearls before swine? This does not mean don't waste your breath on people who do not appreciate what you have to offer. Commonly, people understand it that way. Biblically, pearls are a reference to the people of God. What Jesus meant about not casting pearls before swine was that Christians should not rip on other Christians in front of unbelievers. A modern phrase would be, don't throw fellow Christians under the bus. Jesus said, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John 13, verse 35. The world and your community have many needs. Chief among them is the need for the Christ-centered ministry of Christians and their congregations. As Christians who are on mission, who are part of the work of the kingdom of God, one of the other issues that we would consider is what direction does God want me to go in? As he sends me out, how do I know what his direction is? People ask the pastors that all the time. Pastor, what does God want me to do with my life? If I had a nickel for every time I've heard that, I wouldn't be rich, but I would have a few dollars. Consecrated Christians do desire to follow God's leading, take his path, make decisions in accordance with his will. But the way forward is often unclear. There are at least four helps in discerning God's will in a given situation. Help number one, marinate your life with the word of God and prayer. Let the word and prayer so work into your inner life that your mind takes on the flavor of God's mind. Like a husband and wife get to know each other so well that they come close to reading each other's mind, so a Christian whose life is marinated with a word and prayer will often just know what God wants. A key thing about marinate is that it is done in advance. Help number two. Think about how God's creative work is leading you. God created you with certain abilities and talents. What are you inherently good at or able to do? What aren't you good at or what are you unable to do? Early on, I scored lousy on a test for mechanical reasoning. I did fairly well on verbal aptitude. While as a young man I sensed God's calling to be a pastor, I never sensed him to be calling me to be an engineer. How does how God has wired you 
impact your direction. When you were born again, the Holy Spirit came into your life. And the Holy Spirit never arrives without gifts. When God recreated you, you received a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Some gifts. Do you have the gift of helping? Do you have the gift of interpretation? Do you have the gift of administration? How does how God has rewired you impact your direction? God also promises a new creation for you, life with him in glory. One day this world will pass away and be replaced with something far superior, and you'll be a part of that. How does being part of God's new creation impact your direction? Help number three. The Apostle Peter talked about doing everything to the glory of God. The Apostle Paul did too. Often, the decisions we make are made in self-interest. What will redound to my glory? What will make me look good? Our culture floods us with messages of self-glorification. Such leading leads to pride, which, as you know, leads ultimately to a fall. When you are seeking direction from God, think about the path that glorifies God. What displays His honor, splendor, wisdom, power, and goodness? What actions show others the crown belongs on God's head, not yours? And then help number four. Do you know the old story about heaven and hell being the same except for one thing? Both heaven and hell are characterized by people sitting at a huge banquet table with lavish platefuls of food in front of each person. They all have plenty of food, but no one has elbows. The difference is that in hell, people are famished, gaunt, haggard, because they cannot get food up to their mouths, while in heaven, people are full and celebrating because each one is feeding his neighbor. God's example in Jesus and his call on our life is to love one another. We are to be fiercely committed to the well-being of others, no matter what the cost. We are free to do that because God has loved us with such a love first. When seeking God's direction in any given situation, we can ask ourselves, which action will serve to love my neighbor? Such a question will lead us in God's direction. These four helps should help. But the way forward may still lack the complete clarity you desire. You may still not be certain of God's direction. Don't be surprised. Remember, we walk by faith, not by sight. And remember, following God's direction is never keeping in lockstep like a robot, but rather it is the freedom within boundaries of a beloved child let loose to explore a beautiful but somewhat dangerous field. On mission, uh, being sent out into the world is the people of God. What a great adventure that God has invited you and me to be a part of. Uh, such a path with excitement, with faithfulness, and with great confidence in God is a key part of being on the path towards significance. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you found it helpful. I sure would be interested in any reaction you might have. Feel free to email me at ddavis 
at TowardSignificance.com.